So we're coming back in the fall here, uh, looking towards um, really the next, next few months of sort of praying through, you know, what do we really need to hear together as a community? What's God saying to us? What, uh, what do we need to learn? Uh, where do we need to go deeper uh, in the Word of God? And, and the place that felt really important for me to start as I went through uh, some experiences in the summer was to, to simply start with the cross. Uh, this central uh, symbol of Christianity that you see on every spire and at the center of every church that isn't rented. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, what people wear around their necks and, and all of that. Uh, part of my, my desire to return to that and think about it is that in some ways it feels like uh, in the Christian church even and in our, our society, uh, the, the cross and the, the sense of this incredible thing that was really was a torture device in ancient times being central to Christianity, uh, the question that people are wrestling with and the attack that's coming against the, the cross really is the question of, is this thing relevant? Like, like what does this mean? There, there are Christians who are uh, sort of trying to say, you know, God is just such a nice God. He's such a a good God and he's so kind and he's gentle and we know that that's true about him. We know that's who he is. But in trying to communicate the gospel and communicate about who Jesus is, there's this desire to just sort of cover up this kind of ugly thing that's growing in our culture. To take this cross and say that's just a hard thing to understand. It's just, it's just, it's just ugly. Like how could God uh, see the sacrifice of His Son? Uh, I don't think we want to present that evil, mean, awful, cranky God. We want to present happy, happy God, <laughs> right? And and really the question is, so how do we resolve that? We know that God is kind, and know that He's loving, and we know that He really, really cares. And and the tendency of the church uh, in in sort of beginning to in some ways gloss over the cross um, is, is obviously going to hurt us in the long term because uh, tied up in the cross and in what Jesus did is, is so much important uh, meaning for us. Uh, and I don't just mean intellectual meaning. I don't just mean um, meaning that is, uh, is, you know, like a theological box that we need to check to be correct before God as believers, but something that actually transforms us and changes our lives. So we can look for all kinds of other different uh, places uh, in, in our lives for, for what makes Christianity relevant. But this symbol is the thing that actually does it. This symbol is the thing that does the work. That event that transpired, if we look, you know, even at, uh, at the book of Matthew chapter 27. And just, like, just, just read this as a historical event that took place just for a second. I don't even have it up on the screen. Wasn't planning to do that, do this, but let's just read this for just a moment. Uh, this is after uh, Jesus has been arrested. He's uh, been before Pilate. He's been before the Sanhedrin. He's been in this place of being judged. He's been through his first and second trial, and now he's been nailed to the cross. And it says this, it says on, in verse 45 in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, it says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. 
The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to say him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The cross was an earth-shattering, earth-shaking, dead-raising, transformational event. And we're losing the ability to talk about it and what it means. Uh, When you talk about the cross, it has uh, multiple facets. Uh, There are many things that were accomplished uh, by it. Uh, some of the big theological words, and we're going to just glance at them really quickly, not to be like super geeky about it, but, but just to glance at them so that we can capture the depth of the meaning of this event that transpired is, is in the cross we have revelation of who God is. In the cross we have propitiation. I'm just going to throw out these words, not even going to bother defining them at this moment. We have redemption, expiation, ransom, justification, reconciliation. Uh, Christus victor is an important concept. Christus exemplar is an important concept. We have the substitutionary atonement and imputed righteousness. And if you're hearing these words, many of them sound like swear words. Uh, and just crazy words like, what is that guy talking about? And if we just talk about these great big theological words, we're kind of like that poser who comes on the camping trip with his super uh, Swiss army knife and is like, yeah, I got something for that. I, I got a tool here that handles that one and we'll do that. Some, some guy actually mocked this thing up. Like that's got everything. I said, you know what, as I look at it really closely, I don't see a Oh, there is a corkscrew, so we're all good for camping. So, uh, you know, like, the, uh, the, the cross is like that. It, it's a tool that accomplishes a lot, of, a lot of different work. It accomplishes a lot of different things. But, but if we just throw out these words and open up this thing and, and just sort of talk about it in a general way without talking about how it's applied, uh, the question of the relevance of the cross is, is kind of lost uh, to us. I remember I was out by the uh, beach with my son uh, this summer with Toby and he, he, just, he was playing with my Swiss Army knife and he pulled it out and he kept asking, what's this one for? What's this one for? And he pulled out the awl. You know, what the, you know what the awl is on a Swiss Army knife? I probably should have put a picture up, uh, but it's got a sort of a sharp end and a, and a hole through it. And I'm, I'm like, son, this is a super, super useful tool. Like if you're ever lost in the woods and you need shoes, you could kill a deer and tan the hide and you could poke holes in it and if you happen to have some string handy you could possibly sew yourself some shoes like it's super useful son right and so you know when we're talking about the relevance of the crossword we're, we're kind of we can get into this place that's way up high and, and way like what's like I'm not ever going to sew myself some shoes out in the wilderness why do I have this word why do I have this stuff but the reality is, is that as we dig into these things, that these are life-changing things. They're important things for us. So we ask the question, how did these things answer not just ponderings, but ultimate questions? How do they answer our ultimate questions? And how do they actually answer our longings? How do they answer the longings of humanity? And what do they have to do with the challenges that you really face? 
Like, what is the practical usefulness of some of this knowledge of what Jesus did for you? And that's what we're going to dig into. Uh, just going to look at the scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like, if we just throw these words out, it's just, it's just gobbledygook. It's just foolishness. Like, why is Christianity uh, even relevant? But to those of us who are experiencing them and walking through these challenges, they're the power of God. They're the things that set us free. And so we're just going to dig into just two of them this morning, and we'll just see how far we get in the next, the next few weeks. We're just going to dig into some of these uh, big ideas. And this first one, the place to start, I think, is just seeing the cross as a revelation of who God is. That's an easy word. That's not one of the hard ones. But the cross is a revelation of who God is. It's going to blast through a few scriptures here. Uh, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. What we see in Jesus and what he did uh, through his life and on the cross, we see the exact imprint of the nature of God. We see his character. We see who God is. And what that's, we're going to see that satisfies in us is a longing to know that we as people have a longing to know how the universe works. It's why we love Star Trek. It's why we love the idea of going to a galaxy far, far away. It's why we love the idea of space exploration. It's why people love the idea of science. It's why people love the idea of delving into the mysteries of biology because there's a longing inside of us to know as humans how the world works. And if we want to know how not only the natural world works, but how the spiritual world works, we have to look to the person of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. If you've seen me, you know what God in heaven is like. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. You can't see the love God has for us. And this is something that theologians are, are trying to do in our time, is to see the love that God has for us in the person of Jesus without seeing it in his action of dying on the cross. We have to see the whole picture of the life of Jesus that includes uh, what he did on the cross. So what does seeing the God on the cross actually do for us? I remember uh, we were at our national gathering in Montreal uh, just a few weeks ago at the beginning of the summer. We were gathered with vineyard churches from all around, uh, all around the country. And uh, one of the things that were not central to that at all was that uh, we wanted to pull off. We were staying in an Airbnb with, uh, with the Moore Crispin family. We wanted to pull off a... Uh, a birthday surprise for Kathy. Kathy, so it was her 40th birthday. She's not in here, but uh, just so you know, Kathy's 40. <laughs> be sure to give her a big hug and shake her hand and just congratulate her on that later. And tell her I told you all. That would be really, really, that'd be really super great. Um, so we we're trying to pull this thing off, and, and so I skipped out of worship in one of the sessions. We wanted to surprise her. We went back to the Airbnb and had balloons, and, 
and uh, have a cake for and all that stuff. So I snuck out and, uh, and I left the, the worship. And just as I was going out to do this uh, mad run across Montreal to find a cake and deliver it back to the Airbnb, uh, sitting on the steps beside me was, uh, was a young pastor in our community vineyard churches. And, uh, and, and he was like, I'm just wrestling with Christianity, a pastor who is wrestling with some, some deep doubts. I'm wrestling with Christianity. So the Old Testament God is too judgmental and angry for me. We can't preach. We can't talk about him. Uh, but the way we're talking about Jesus, he's, he's too nice. If they're supposed to be the same person, how can I trust somebody with mood swings like that? How can I trust uh, somebody who's a God of anger, who's a God of vengeance, who's a God of justice? And now all of a sudden I'm talking about him as a God who's sweet and a God who is loving. Like, how do I talk about these two people? How can they possibly be the same person? And the answer for us is we absolutely can't talk about them as the same person unless we understand that through the lens of the cross. We can't understand the justice of God unless we understand that Jesus executed the justice of God by being executed himself on the cross in love for us. He substituted himself for us. We have to understand these things uh, together. The God who died on the cross is very different from the distant, secular, uh, humanistic, materialistic gods of today. Right, those gods, those gods of today are gods that sort of look at the universe and say that God isn't there. He's not present in our, in our world. He, he's dead. He died a few generations ago when my grandparents went to church. He's, he, he's not really that concerned. He's not offended by what we do. Uh, we can do anything morally we want as long as we recycle. Um, and we can, you know, we can, we, can do, we can do anything we want. He's just going to be kind. He's loving. He accepts everybody. He accepts everything. He accepts every, every behavior. And that God is just kind of a wishy-washy, uh, amoral God who is kind of impotent and, and isn't doing anything out there, right? Um, but he's also very different from that hate-filled, vengeful God of old that people imagine God to be the giant policeman in the sky. How, how do we bring these two worlds together? How do we understand uh, that? The, the God that people have rejected because they, they didn't understand uh, the love through the judgment. And the God that people are rejected just because he's irrelevant, because he doesn't care about your life. He's not either of those gods, but through the lens of the cross, we see a God that we can understand. And we're faced with this challenge as a church. If we don't present a gospel that is firmly grounded in the cross, we're just presenting a God who doesn't make sense. We're presenting a God who doesn't care about the sins of humanity, who doesn't care deeply about uh, that girl who has been raped, about genocide, about murder, about theft. We, we, We can't present a God who doesn't care about that stuff, who doesn't get angry about that stuff. And we can't present a God who is just so vengeful and cranky that he doesn't love anything beyond himself. For, for that God, the world, word Father just doesn't even apply. So who is this God? And we see in the cross a God who cares very much about what we do with our time. A God who cares very much about what we do with our money. About what we do with our bodies. Whose heart is affected by our doings. When we do things, he's not 
uh, detached. When we do things, he, in his self-limitation as a God, he has allowed himself to be impacted by the deeds of humanity. He has allowed himself to be impacted by my deeds and your deeds. If I tell a lie that steals something from another person's spirit, that affects his heart because he cares for that person and didn't want that stolen from that person emotionally, spiritually. He cares about that person and he is angry with me. So what does he do with that? His love, in his love, he resolves that need for justice in himself on the cross. He is both love fully and he is justice fully and that's a God that's an honest God that's a God that you can trust that he is who he says he is you couldn't believe that he was real if he didn't care about the genocide in Rwanda if he was just saying you know what that's just uh, the way it goes um, survival of the fittest we couldn't believe in a God like that Or in a God who just forgives in a way that just says, ah, well, that just, yeah, I saw that happen, but, you know, it just happened. I'm just going to forgive that. It's okay. That's not God. That's not a God you could trust. A God you can trust is a God who, who really interacts with you as a person who cares about your doings, who cares about your actions, who cares about the stuff of the world. His heart is revealed in the cross how is it revealed? In the person of Jesus, his wrath is fully satisfied. He visited his wrath upon himself. He's the God who saw the injustice that was done by humanity. And humanity who deserved a good talking to or a spanking or a lashing or a whipping, or whatever it was that we deserve for the grave sins that we commit against one another. He's a God who decided to give that spanking to himself because justice needed to be satisfied. He is just, that is his nature. But he loved you so much that he didn't want for you to bear the penalty. So if we receive it, that's all on him. Uh, it's said like this in, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, 9 to 10. And again, this, this is deep stuff. This is not how you grow your megachurch, doing a sermon on propitiation. But this is what Christianity is about. 1 John chapter 4, 9 to 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The love of God made real, manifest, tangible, feelable, real. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a big theological word. That's one of those ones that sounds like a swear word. Propitiation. What the heck are you talking about? What does that mean? A propitiation, or rather the word propitious means giving or indicating a good chance of success. Favorable. Propitiation, and we're going to unpack this in a second, is what makes God 
disposition towards you be favorable. Now, where that word came from uh, in ancient times was uh, when, when, say, for example, uh, some sailors are sailing a boat across the Mediterranean. They're going across, and there's a storm that's happening. They would have this massive assumption. If there's a storm, if we're going to be shipwrecked, if we're going to be taken out here, God must be angry at us. He's going to be angry at us. We have to find propitiation. We need to make the gods propitious. We need to make them look upon us with favor. And so they would throw a Jonah overboard, throw a crewman overboard, make a sacrifice, sacrifice a goat, and pray to the gods that somehow the anger would stop. Uh, there's a reality in that the God that we serve and the God that we love, as we talked about a moment ago, is actually authentically and genuinely angry at the sins of humanity. Right, we see it in, in the scriptures. His soul hates, this is really nice. See, this is like super nice. This is the stuff your grandma read to you before, uh, before, like after breakfast in the morning scripture reading. Hey, little child, let's read this together. His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Hey, children, let's all read this together. It is written, Jacob, I loved and Esau I hated. Let's all pray and eat some bacon. Right? It's not like, it's not like, like, this is not grow your mega church kind of teaching. But this is this is the Bible. Right? God has an authentic sense of who he is and what righteousness is uh, that is a reaction to the stuff of humanity. And it says this in Romans 5, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So not only does the cross justify us, it doesn't only just justify us. It doesn't just bring us to a place of, of right standing with God. It actually deals with his wrath. It deals with his wrath. And, and, and you can't just read Christianity or you can't read the Bible without dealing with the fact that, that there is the wrath of God. That's a, that's a scriptural reality. That, that phrase appears like 600 times in the scriptures. It's a real deal. So how do we deal with it? Why is God angry? How do we deal with the wrath of God? Uh, one, of the, one of the encounters where I, where I really understood this uh, best as a young man, I was, I was at Bible school and, and it was in my first year, and one of, the, uh, one of the challenges that we had was to do some practicum as part of our service. And so I was on a worship team called Servant and we traveled around and did, did worship and it was like, everybody sort of viewed that as like, that's like the super easy one. Like, you don't have to go do prison ministry or you don't have to go do anything like that uh so um uh so i so i went with a friend uh from a team called youth quake uh and i went to uh, attica prison in upstate new york it's a supermax prison um and and did prison ministry there and and just spent some time talking with prisoners it's not quite like you imagine where you know they're you know sort of tied up in chains all the time and they've got a mask on like they're going to bite your face off or something like this. This is, uh, this is people, though, who are in a sort of a highly secure facility and people who are serious offenders. And I remember sitting across the table uh, from a man who, I, I just said, can you tell me your story? And uh, as the story came out and he told me about his life, he told me about his childhood and some of the things uh, that had gone on. But ultimately, uh, from the time he was a late teen until, his, uh, till, till he got caught, like almost in his 30s, he was a basically a serial rapist. 
he'd lured a number of women and, and, and he'd raped them and discarded them on the side of the road, classic kind of a story. And I remember as I was hearing the story of this guy, I was feeling uh, the pain of these women, feeling the injustice, the pain of their families, uh, wondering what children this man had, had caused to be, to be born into the world through an act of violence and an act of hate. And I remember feeling in that moment, literally boiling inside of me, uh, this anger, this rage, this sense of wrath. Like, what? look at what this man has done. And, and strangely, in that same moment as I'm feeling this incredible sense of wrath churning inside of me at the same moment, uh, and, and just purely as a gift of grace, purely as a gift of grace from the Father, uh, I'm feeling the love and favor on this man who's ultimately given his life to the Lord, ultimately given his heart to Jesus, and is ultimately repentant for his sins. How does somebody who carries the weight of multiple rapes in his life be one who is favored and loved by God? That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the cross. I remember with a scowl from the guard at, at, at one point with all of this churning inside me, I was able to reach across the table and grab this man's hand and look in his eyes and tell him that God loves him. That he can trust in the love of God. That the wrath of God over him for what he committed was satisfied. It had been resolved. It was very, very real. Crying out of the heart of God for the injustice done against these women. Like absolute fury of God was evident. And at the same time, the absolute love of God. Where did the fury go? Where did the fury go? Fury landed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. God invested his rage in his son. And his son carried that rage for that man. That's propitiation. And now God looks on that man with favor. So what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for you? It means that any anger that God has against you for the things that you've done. And we have done things any anger that God has against you for the things that he's done. He has rested on the shoulders of his son. And he looks now on you with favor. That you are free should you receive Jesus from the wrath of God. And it also means this. in the cross, your anger against others can be satisfied. Some of you have had things done against you 
Some of you have been the victim. Some of you maybe in this room have been raped. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been victims of abuse. Some of you have had uh, much smaller things. You've had backbiting in your workplace. You've had people talking about you behind your back. You've had people lie about you. You've had uh, other things happen. You've had people steal things from you. Uh, Kathy had her wallet stolen. Uh, People have things that are done to you. And you and I know what that feels like when an injustice has been done against you to have your wrath bubble up. And you can know and you can trust that in God there is a justification to the anger that sometimes bad things really happen to people. But you can't carry that wrath. You have to let Jesus carry that for that person. And that's what it means in the scriptures when it says, if you forgive someone, they'll be forgiven. You're releasing that person who has committed crime and violence and hurt against you into the hands of God. And this is not an easy thing to do, but we release them into the hands of God. And we say, God, I'm no longer holding this right for vengeance. I'm no longer holding this anger that I carry inside of me. I can't carry it. I can't deal with it. This has to become invested in you, Jesus. Should that person choose to accept your love and what you've done for them on the cross, I am good with it. You may look upon them with favor and I will learn to look upon them with favor and with love and and affection in spite of the injustice done to me. The work of the cross propitiation deals with the anger and wrath of God and it deals with the anger and wrath that we as individuals carry. There's, there's someone in this room that I, that I know whose brother was murdered. There's a wrath to carry that can only be satisfied in the heart of God. It can only be satisfied in the heart of God. That is why we need the cross. Let's stand. Lord, we know that this message isn't the happy, slappy, mega church growing uh, message. But this is your story in the world. That sinful humans who deserve uh, your wrath can find it satisfied in you because you loved us so much that you are willing to take it upon yourself. We are blown away by a God who loves us that much. We are blown away. Uh, For those of us who are carrying uh, the weight of a sense that you're angry with us for things that we've done, Lord, we just ask that uh, we would be able to sense your forgiveness. We say that we need you to carry that on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross for us. We need to be set free from the sense of your scowl. And we as people need to sense and know and experience a loving glance from a loving Savior. Savior, We need to experience the love and favor of God. 
We need you, Jesus. We need what you've done for us. Would you set us free from the weight of the scowl? And we're some of us carrying wrath, carrying anger uh, for sins that have been done against us. And it is so hard to let that go. But we follow your model and say again, Lord, forgive them. Lord, we release our anger to you. We trust that you can deal with it. You can deal with the sins of humanity. You are big enough. You are strong enough. Jesus was enough. Jesus was enough. Would you set us free? Would you heal our hearts? Would you release us into joy again? Would you set us free from bitterness that comes with long-held anger? Set us free to be people of grace. Freely as we have received your grace, we want to freely give it, Lord. Do this work in our hearts. Set your people free. Your cross matters. We're so thankful for what you've done. I pray over this church, over these people, again, that each one would feel and sense the smile the favor and the love of God. I declare the love of God over his people and justice satisfied. We receive your love in Jesus' name. Amen.